So next week is Easter Sunday. So we are in week number 15 of the year of discipleship. We're 15 weeks in, and this whole thing of discipleship is all about knowing Christ, growing in our faith, and helping others to know Christ and grow in their faith. And at the heart of all of this is the Word of God. So individually, personally, we're going through this F260 Bible reading plan. I want to encourage you to participate with us. If you haven't, if you're not on that journey with us, Go to friendshipwire.com, look for that year of discipleship tab. You'll find all the info there or grab a reading plan over at Next Steps. So at the heart of it, this Bible reading plan we're going through together. On Sundays, we're in this sermon series, this 52-week series in the Word made up of eight kind of sub-series. So we're in this series called Against All Odds. And this series is all about God's people, Israel, coming in to take possession of the promised land. And the odds are against them, but God is with them. And God has given them and promised them the victory. So last week, Jake brought us into the book of Judges. And Jake did a great job last week taking us in there. Um, So we went from the book of Joshua into Judges and you know, we see this, this cycle. This is the really, you know, we saw Samson last week who was one of the judges, but there's this important cycle that we see, and Jake mentioned it last week, but I remember in like Bible college, I remember in this class and had this old Yoda-like professor, and he would like, he was walking us through the book of Judges, and he drew this kind of like cycle, this like, this, let me think how this goes. Okay, so it's the cycle, right? Is that right? Am I going the right way for you? No, this way? All right, sorry. So the cycle where it was like Israel sinned against the Lord and then they like suffered. They went through the suffering and then they cried out to the Lord and the Lord rescued him. And he typically would raise up or send this this judge, this man or this woman, in the case of Deborah, who would come and deliver them and rescue them and lead them into, you know, prosperity again, only to see the cycle repeat where they would sin and suffer and cry out to God and be rescued. And over and over, as you go through the book of Judges, you see the cycle. And that's a pretty familiar cycle, right? That's kind of the way our lives work. We we sin and we suffer for it, but then hopefully we cry out to the Lord quickly and we repent and he comes to our rescue. and, And yet here we go, over and over again. And so the book ends with with this, this uh, verse, which is really a summary of the whole book, the very last verse of Judges 21, verse 25, that says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so there was, there was no king. But if you think about Israel, Israel was set up to be what we would call a theocracy. So their king, it's not a democracy like the rule of the people. It was a theocracy, theom, like this, like, God was to be their king, and yet they rejected him, and they did what was right in their own eyes. And so this is where all this chaos and sin and suffering is is happening. It's because they've rejected God as their king, and they're doing what only pleases them, what's right in their own eyes. And so next we move into the book of Ruth, and, and I just want to hit this for a second, because if you were in, our, in, in the Bible reading plan this week, you made your way through those four chapters of Ruth, and um, we're not going to be in Ruth today, but just as a bridge, you know, this, the, the story of Ruth occurs during the time of the judges, 
And, you know, Ruth was this Gentile woman who, after the death of her husband, she followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Bethlehem. And she says, you know, where you go, I will go, and your God will be my God. And so she begins to worship the God of Israel, and then she marries this man, and his name was, what was it, you know? Boaz, Boaz, who happens to be her, her kinsman, redeemer. And there's this incredible picture, I wish we had time, um, that you know, Jesus is our kinsman, redeemer. So Boaz is this picture of Christ. But then the very end of this book, there's this one just kind of obscure verse that I want to point out. Ruth 4, verse 17. <clears throat> it says this, that you know, Ruth and Boaz, they get married and they have a son. And it says they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so in the very end of this book, we kind of get this brief genealogy that Ruth and Boaz have a son named Obed, who's the father of Jesse, who's the father of David. This is King David we're talking about. So what's happening here is that we find out that Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David. All right? In other words, she, she like ends up in the family line of the Messiah, in the family line of Jesus. And so why do I even bring this up? The, the point of all of this is that even though the people of Israel were, they had no king, they were doing what was right in their own eyes, like sin abounded, um, you know, they were, they were off the rails, right, with doing what was right in their own eyes. And yet, even in the midst of all of this, even in the midst of their faithlessness to God, God continued to be faithful to his people and faithful to his promise. And he, he continued to preserve this, this line through the line of Judah through which the Messiah would one day be born. And even in the midst of all of this, God is still being faithful to his promise. And he still keeps the story going. And so we move into, from the book of Ruth, into the books of First and Second Samuel. And this is where we'll be today in First Samuel chapter 3. And this is a very pivotal juncture in Israel's history. This, this was a transition, okay? So all of Israel is, they operate in tribes. They're led or ruled by these judges, right? And there's this transition that takes place where they move from judges to, to kings. It becomes not just tribes, but this unified monarchy that is under the rule of a king. And so we see this transition happen in the book of 1 Samuel. And there's three main characters in this section. We see Samuel, right, which makes sense. The book's named after him, right? Samuel, and then Saul, who is the first king of Israel, and then his successor, which is David, King David, who is the greatest king in Israel's history. So they're the three main characters as we make our way into this book. But Samuel is who we're going to talk about today because this guy Samuel, he would become such a major figure in the history of, of Israel. He was involved in this transition from judges to kings. In fact, he would anoint those first two kings in Israel's history. And Samuel was considered a judge. All right, he was, he was really the last of the judges. He was the greatest judge in the history of Israel. But yet he was also called a prophet. So he was, he was really the first prophet, the first prophet that made a, a significant impact. So he, he was the last judge, the final judge, first prophet. He's in this transition period between judges and kings, and he plays this incredible part in the, in the history of Israel. So what we're going to look at today in 1 Samuel 3 is what I believe is this, this very early shaping experience in his life that shows why his life made such a huge impact 
and it involved hearing God's voice. And so that's the title of the sermon today is Hearing God's Voice. And so I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard from God? Have you ever heard God's voice, God speaking to you, directing you? Um, and this is one of those interesting subject matters, right? But, but here's the deal. If we're going to be disciples, if we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to be used of, of God, if we're going to have an impact in our world, we must discern the voice of God in our lives. It's not enough to hear the voice of a preacher. We got to hear the voice of God. Hopefully you hear the voice of God through your preacher. Amen. Hopefully, but we've got to discern the voice of God. And so this morning is all about hearing God's voice. And, and so I want to jump into 1 Samuel 3 and here in a moment. Let me give you some background as you turn there or turn on your device and head to 1 Samuel 3. The book of 1 Samuel starts out with this woman named Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, and she is childless, but she is praying hard for a child. She wants a son, and, and she's at the, the house of the Lord praying so intensely that Eli, the priest, thinks she's this crazy drunk woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, have you ever prayed or wanted something that badly? She wanted this son, and she even made this vow to God. She said, Lord, if you will give me a son... I'll give him back to you. I'll, I will dedicate, I will devote him to you all his days. And you know what? God answers. And he gives her a son and she names him Samuel, which means heard of God. Um, in other words, God heard her prayer and he answered and gave her the son. And so she nurses and weans him and then, and then presents him to Eli, the priest. She takes him and, and gives him to the priest, and he's raised in the house of the Lord to serve the Lord all of his life. And so 1 Samuel 1, we see the story of Hannah. 1 Samuel 2, we, it's all about this, this prayer or song of praise from Hannah where she is just praising the Lord. And, and this, this prayer, the song that she goes through in 1 Samuel 2, I believe really sets the tone for all the stuff that get, gets ready to come. And because what she does is she praises the Lord for who he is. There's none like him, but also that God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. And we see this play out through, through the story as uh, you've got Samuel, who's, who's humble, and later on David, who is humble, and God exalts them. And then you have this third character that I mentioned, Saul, who is not humble. He's proud. And, and God opposes him. And we see this play out throughout the whole story. But I want to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. We're going to read through verses 1 through 21. I'm just going to talk through this as we go. And then I want to focus in on one little phrase that, that uh, Samuel speaks here. So starting in 1 Samuel 3, verse number 1. Here's what the word of the Lord says. Verse number 1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And when it says the boy, Samuel, he's probably maybe in like the 12-year-old range. Um, and this is similar to when we see the Bible talk about David, who was a boy, but he was probably about 12. Um, so here he is in the house of the Lord in the presence of Eli. And it says, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So what, what it's saying here is that, that the word of God, the revelation of God, like vision from God, like not a lot of activity, God not speaking a lot. Why? It's because of what we saw in Judges 21, 25. Like 
the people had kind of disregarded what God had to say. There was sin and hard hearts and corrupt priests that were leading the people and the nation was rejecting God as king. And so his word and his revelation and his vision was pretty rare in these days. All right, so that sets the context. Verse number two. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. Verse three, the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So when it talks about the lamp of God going out, literally what it's talking about there is it's, it's, it's before dawn. It's talking about the, the candlestick in, in the temple or in the, the house of the Lord. And, and yet there's this kind of spiritual significance, right? That it was a, it's a dark time. And so this is what's going on here. Uh, verse number four. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And ran to Eli and said, here I am for you, you called me. But he, Eli, said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. And you have to think at this point, like Eli is going, What is wrong with you, kid? Like, what did you eat last night? Why do you keep coming in here? But here's what's going on is that God keeps calling, right? He keeps calling and calling. And, and this just, just as a kind of side note, when God is, is speaking to us, when he's trying to get through to us, typically what he does is he keeps calling and he keeps speaking and he keeps coming to us. And so if, if you're on the verge of making a huge decision that you think God told you to do, uh, make sure God is telling you that. Confirm that. God will keep bringing this to you and maybe through other people and other circumstances. But God keeps calling to Samuel over and over. Verse number seven. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So Samuel had not yet encountered God personally. God hadn't revealed himself to him through his word. He doesn't yet have a relationship with God. Verse number eight. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And so time number three, Eli finally is like, oh, wait a second. This may be the Lord. And this gives me a lot of comfort, y'all. You know that even like the priest, like it took him multiple like occasions to go, oh, God, maybe that's you talking, right? You ever feel like that? Like, so take comfort in that. Third time, here he comes. Okay, this must be the Lord speaking. Verse number nine, then Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. And one of the things I think that, that like kind of can escape you as you read, that very first phrase in verse 10, the Lord came and stood. Like, like, it just kind of passes by that. Like, you hear the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, and this time it says the, the Lord came and he stood, and it kind of moves on from there. And so I talked about it before. This could be what we call a theophany, 
um, which is like a pre-incarnate appearance of God or, or of Christ in this moment who shows up and he says, Samuel, Samuel. And so when you see that, that he calls his name twice, that always indicates there's some urgency, right? He's, he's trying to get his attention. Samuel, Samuel. And he sa- Samuel says, speak for your servant hears. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And I, I just got to say, that's just an interesting phrase, like ears are tingling. Typically, um, it talks about when there's like a, a big judgment that's getting ready to come. It, it might say that the people's ear is, you know, tingles. Um, here it says both ears, which means something big is getting ready to come. Both your ears are going to tingle, all right? So if you have your ears ever have weird tingling, like, uh-oh, God's ready to drop the hammer on you. Just, just kidding. Uh, verse number 12, on that day, I will fulfill uh, against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So you've got to understand what's going on here. Eli had allowed his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, to be priests, and they were wicked men. They were corrupt priests. They um, were shameful, and they blasphemed the Lord, and so... God had tried to speak to, to Eli and say, hey, through, through a man of God in chapter two, he said, your sons, man, you got to take care of them. And he didn't do anything. And so Eli's sin isn't actually even his own sin. Eli's sin was that he didn't restrain his kids. His sin wasn't his own sin. It was the sin of not being a good, attentive, intentional father. He let his kids carry on in sin and he didn't intervene. Even worse than that, he was their boss, Right? He was the priest, and he allowed these priests, who were his sons, to operate in sin and wickedness, and he did nothing to restrain them. And so the worst sin was that they were blaspheming God in this moment. And so what God says to Samuel is, I'm going to bring judgment on the house of Eli. So that's a pretty weighty thing as a 12-year-old or whatever to get this news and be like, oh my goodness, this is what God is telling me. My first encounter with God, and you're telling me this, right? So verse number 15, Samuel lay until morning. All right, he didn't get a wink of sleep, understandably. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Can you blame him, right? He's afraid to share this with his mentor, this man, the man of God, the priest who was invested in him. So he's afraid to tell him the vision, the message, Verse number 16, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And so, you know, Samuel was going to become this incredible man of faith. And here was like this first step in that journey where he had to take the step of faith and 
although he was nervous and afraid, he stepped out and said, okay, I'm going to tell him the truth. I'm going to tell him the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so he steps out in faith and and Eli says, if that's what the Lord says, then I'll accept that. Verse number 19 kind of finishes out this, this, this story. It says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Verse number 20. And from uh, all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And so in the very end of the story, we see that um, the Lord was with Samuel. He grew. He let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. In other words, he established him as a prophet. Here was one of the marks of a prophet was that everything that you spoke, every prophecy that you said was 100% accurate. All right, that was the test. If everything you said came true, you, you were a prophet of God. But if not, then you were a false prophet. And so God established Samuel. He blessed him. He was with him and he used him in an incredible way. And he goes on to tell the story through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. But what I want to do for just a couple minutes is I just want to focus in on one phrase that I think speaks to the heart of, of Samuel, that speaks to the heart of hearing God's voice. And the phrase was this, verse number 10, he said, speak for your servant hears. Speak for your servant hears. And, and I just want to break that down in like three parts. All right. So the first part is this, speak, speak. He says, speak for your servant hears. So when, when Samuel says to, to the Lord, speak, it, it's not like the statement of, of permission, all right, it's not like with your kids where you're like, eh, eh, eh. okay, speak. You can talk now, right? It's not, it's not Samuel saying, okay, God, let me, I give you permission to talk now. No, this was a statement of attention. What he was saying was that he was listening. He said, I, I have a heart that is ready to hear. God, I am listening to you. He had a heart that was ready to hear, I'm, I'm listening. And, and we see this played out throughout the life of, of Samuel as you go on. Like he continues to have this heart because he was devoted to prayer. Like when there was things that frustrated him, uh, he would talk to God and say, God, I wanna hear what you have to say about this. There's an episode, we won't look at it here, but First Samuel 8 where um, Samuel, he puts his, two, his sons into the place of judges and kind of like Eli, they're not necessarily on that level, but they're not cutting it. And the people come to Samuel and say, Samuel, your sons are not doing a good job. We want a king. And Samuel is displeased, the scripture says. That means he was ticked off, right? He was not happy. And the very first thing it says that he, he does, he prayed to the Lord. He went to God. He said, God, I want to... I want to hear what you have to say. I have a ready heart. I'm ready to hear. I'm listening. I want to know what you have to say. Uh, later on in 1 Samuel 15, um, you know, he, the, God puts Saul in the place of king. And Saul, is, he starts out well, but he, he, he flames out. He does not follow the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 15, 
it's clear that God is like, I do not want Saul to be leading my people anymore. And so he comes and he tells Samuel. And Samuel, again, is so angry and fired up. It says that he stayed up all night praying to the Lord before he confronted Saul the next day. Why do I bring that up? Because the pattern of, of Samuel's life was, God, I'm ready to hear. Uh, I have a, I'm listening. I have a heart to hear what you have to say. Speak. I'm paying attention. And so you want to hear from God? Here's what we learn from, from Samuel. Is you have to have a heart that is ready to hear. That says, God, I'm listening to whatever you have to say to me. So he says, speak. And then this next phrase, he says, speak for your servant, for your servant hears. Speak for your servant. And he calls himself God's servant. You know, his, his life, Samuel's life was devoted to the Lord. And I'm not just talking about mama devoting him to the Lord as a, as a child. Like, no, he devoted his life to the Lord. And his life stands in contrast to uh, the sons of Eli, right? Because Samuel's growing up in the house of Eli. Eli's sons are, are the priests. And, and I want you to see this verse that I think is, is a kind of interesting verse that God shoots straight. He says things as they are. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. <laughs> they did not know the Lord. Have you ever, like, I know you're human, so there's times you're like, man, that guy is worthless. And ugh, that's, that's, that's an arrogant, sinful statement. But God can say that because he created them, right? And he's like, these guys are not because they just, they didn't know the Lord. It's because these were men that were representing the Lord in the place of priests, and they were sinning, and they were like, they had no regard for the Lord. But the truth was they didn't know the Lord, but they were worthless men. Contrast this with what the scriptures say. We just read in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 7, what we saw about Samuel. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. But as soon as it was revealed to him, as soon as he heard from the Lord, he said, speak, for your servant hears. He he was devoted to the Lord. He said, I'm your servant. He had a heart that, was, that belonged to the Lord. He said, I'm yours. I'm your servant. I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm focused. Speak because I am your servant. I am yours. And then this last phrase that he says, speak for your servant, what? Your servant hears. Your servant hears. And I want, to, I want to bring us back. That word here is an important word. We've looked at it before. If you all remember Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it's what we call the Shema. It's because that first word is that word Shema, which is here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You remember this? This was that daily prayer that, that the Jewish people would recite three times a day. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so... You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This was this prayer that they prayed every day. And it was called the Shema, hear, which wasn't just the idea of like, open your ears. That word Shema, hear, had this idea of listen and obey. 
here as so as to obey. It was two sides of the same coin. It wasn't like, oh, I hear you. It was like, no, I hear you and I'm going to obey what you have to say. And so Samuel, he said, speak for your servant hears. In other words, I have a heart that is ready to obey. He said, God, I'm paying attention. I'm focused in. I am yours and I am I'm listening. I will obey everything that you have to say. And we see this in the life of Samuel, that he was marked by his obedience to God. Later on in his life, that that episode that I talked about in 1 Samuel 15, where he's coming to Saul and he's saying, nope, you're not the guy anymore. God is displeased with you. You are not cutting it. God is going to rip the kingdom from you. And in this whole scene, Saul, who is very proud and arrogant at this point, he, 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 he basically says, well, I've done what God told me. I took the Amalekites and I captured the people and I took all the spoils and I sacrificed it to God. But that wasn't what God called him to do. God said, I want you to do everything to destruction, not to sacrifice all the, the stuff. And he goes on and says this, this incredible verse, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. This is one of the memory verses for this week, one you ought to memorize. As Samuel is confronting Saul, he says this, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is what? Is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. In other words, what he's saying here is, I don't care what you, you say you've done for God. You, you haven't obeyed him fully. You've only obeyed him partially. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience comes first and last and always. The thing that pleases God is, is not your sacrifices, it's your obedience that comes out of a heart that says, God, I will obey anything and everything that you have to say. To obey is better than sacrifice. Martin Luther, the old reformer, he used to say this, I'd rather be obedient than able to work miracles. Why? It's because the thing that pleases God is our obedience. Our heart that says, God, I will do whatever you say. I love you. I'm devoted to you. I'm yours and I'm going to obey you. And so Samuel, he says these words, speak for your servant hears. I'm, I'm listening. I'm yours. And I will obey. And there's another phrase that, that captures his heart that he says over and over to both the Lord and to Eli. Did you catch it? Three words. Did you hear it? What was it? Anybody? Hear I am. Right? He said it over and over and over. Here I am. Here I am. Eli, here I am. Shut up. Go to sleep. <laughs> here I am. Here I am. The Lord calls. Here I, I'm here. I'm available. I'm listening. I'm yours. I'm, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to obey you. And you've heard me say this before. I love those three words. Those are three powerful words that say, God, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. And Samuel was in good company because we heard these words before. We heard them from Abraham and we heard them from Jacob 
And we heard him from Moses at the burning bush, right? We hear him from Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah says, Here I am, send me, Lord. We, we hear it in the New Testament. Acts chapter 9, Ananias. You may not remember Ananias. He was a disciple in Damascus when Saul, who was this persecutor of the church, was on his way to Damascus and, and the Lord intervenes and blinds him. And then he calls this disciple in Damascus named Ananias. He calls him in a vision. And Ananias, guess what he says? What do you think he says? Here I am. And God says, I have a mission for you. I want you to go and find this man, Saul. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the blindness and I'm going to remove the scales from his eyes. I want to help him to see who I am. And I'm going to use him as a light to the Gentiles. And all of that happened. The church was birthed and grew and expanded because of the mission of and the missionary work of Paul. And it was all because of a guy named Ananias said to the Lord, what? Here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I, I'm listening. I'm yours and I will obey. Here I am. So here's the question for us today. How do we hear God's voice today? How do we hear God's voice today? And again, this is, this is important for us to talk about. So for just a couple minutes, let's talk about it. how does God speak to us? He speaks to us primarily through his word, his revealed word. He also speaks through creation. Psalm 19, Romans 1 says that uh, we're without excuse, that his creation speaks to his handiwork and to his glory. He speaks through creation. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. We see in the New Testament, he speaks through godly people. He speaks through circumstances. But all of these things that he speaks to us through, he, they're always in harmony with his word. They're always in agreement with his word. And if they're not, then it's not from God. And I want to read a quote to you that's it's a pretty long quote, but I think it's, it's helpful and super practical about hearing the voice of God. It's from commentator David Guzik. He says this, but this hearing from God is an uncertain business, right? It's kind of tricky because it's easy to go, well, God told me so-and-so, or I heard this from God. And so it's, it's kind of an uncertain business. And so he says, because it is uncertain, there are three things to keep in mind. First, we must always judge what we think God may be telling us by what he has certainly told us in his word, the Bible. God will never contradict his eternal word. Second, we should always be humble when it comes to the idea of God speaking to us. We can never completely trust our ability to hear from God by this, quote, inner voice accurately. It is easy for us to add something to what God has said or to stop listening or to misapply what he has said or to think that it was God when it was ourselves or something else, kind of like a bad burrito the night before. You know what I'm saying? So it's far better to say and to think, I think the Lord told me, than to talk and think as if you hear God perfectly. So first, make sure it's in accordance with the word of God. Second, be humble. I think this is what God is telling me. Finally, the third thing. Finally, no one should feel unspiritual because they think God does not speak to them the way he seems to speak to others. 
if you really want God to speak to you and to speak to you the best way, get into God's word, the Bible. We know he has spoken there. And so I'm going to put it kind of in this quote to kind of summarize what we kind of learn from, from Samuel, which I think is so important. I hear from God when I have a heart ready to hear and obey. I hear from God when I have a heart ready to hear and obey. What that means is I'm, I'm ready to hear. I'm ready to act. God, I'm listening. Here's the deal. If you're living for yourself, if you have nobody who is ruling over you, you're not allowing God to be the ruler of your life, and you're just doing what is right in your own eyes, you know what? God's probably not going to speak to you very often. But when you put yourself in a posture that says, God, I am ready to hear you, and I am ready to obey you, when you put yourself at attention like that, I promise you, you will begin to hear from God because God loves to reveal himself to us. He's not trying to hide from us, right? It reminds me of like, um, I don't know if you ever had a job or a situation where you're like on call. Have you ever had a job like that where you like are at home and you get to kind of do your own thing, but you're on call. So if work calls, like you've got to respond, you know what I mean? So there's like a level of freedom, but it's like, okay, if I get that call from my boss or from, you know, the plant or, you know, the office, I got to respond. I got to stop what I'm doing and answer. It's kind of that kind of mindset with, with God. Like, God, I'm ready to hear and I'm ready to act. So I've got my plans and I'm doing my thing. But if I hear you speak, God, I'm going to drop everything because I want to hear you and I want to obey what you have to say. And when God can trust you like that, God will speak to you. God will continue to reveal himself to you. It's, it's about being focused and undistracted. Have you ever been like in a classroom Maybe when you were a student and like everyone's talking and it's all loud and then all of a sudden you take a test or you do something and all of a sudden it's quiet and then you like, you hear the clock ticking and you hear like a cough in the room or you hear like the hum of the AC and you go, that's really loud. I didn't hear that before. Well, it's not that those things got louder, right? It's that you, everything, you became more quiet and more focused and undistracted, and you began to hear. Or maybe, you know, at home at night by yourself or in your bedroom, and like all of a sudden, I hear every creak, <laughs> I hear every noise. I'm like, who's that? Who's in the. <laughs> Everything quiets, and you begin to, to hone in on, on the sounds. And, and it's the same idea with God. I hear from God when I have a heart that is ready to hear and ready to. Obey, And this is why I think Psalm 46, verse 10 is so important. Be still and know that I am God. When we put ourselves in a place to hear from God, we say, God, I want to hear from you. God, I want to follow you. God, I want to obey you. I belong to you. And so I want your direction in my life. God will speak. God will show up. God will reveal himself if you position your heart to hear from him. And this is why we talk about this here journal, why we're doing this with our Bible reading plan, because the goal of reading scripture isn't to just go, okay, I read a chapter today. I read two chapters. The goal is to hear from God, to hear from God. God, what do you want to say to me? 
I'm not just here to read the Bible. God, I want to hear what you have to say to me. I want to live for you. I want to please you. I want to obey you. And here's the deal. When you do that, you will hear from God, from his word. And so Samuel, Samuel was a great example for us. Speak for your, Lord, or speak for your servant hears. He was a great example and we ought to follow his example. But I just want to end this morning by saying this. Christ is our perfect example. Christ is our perfect example because he was perfectly obedient to the Father. You know, we move into Holy Week here today. And, you know, I want us to remember the heart of Jesus, that Jesus was always ready. His heart was always ready to hear and to obey the Father's will. He entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, knowing full well what was ahead of him. And yet he was ready to hear and obey the Lord. He had his last supper with the disciples, you know, on Thursday, what we call Maundy Thursday. And then he made his way into the Garden of Gethsemane and on the very last night of his life. Think about this, y'all. On the, the last night of his life, he prayed for his disciples and for his friends and those who would come to know him. He prayed for you and for me. He prayed for us. He prayed for those who would come to know him. And he was all along, he was ready to hear and obey the Father's voice. He sweat teardrops like blood because he didn't want to face what was getting ready to come. And yet, what did he say? He said, nevertheless, not my will but yours. God, I know what I want, but I want to hear what you have to say. fully obedient to the end for your sake and for mine. Why? Because he was ready to hear and obey the Father. And, you know, just as, uh, as we end this, as, you, as we started the, the chapter, First Samuel chapter 3, what you see is that the, the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and it said that there was little vision, no frequent vision from the Lord. Like God wasn't speaking much and he wasn't revealing himself much. But if you go to the end of the chapter, it said that Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. And it says that the Lord revealed himself to Samuel by the word of the Lord. And so there's this complete turnaround that all of a sudden now God is revealing himself. God is speaking. God is working. God is growing people. What changed between verse 1 and verse 21? You had a man named Samuel who had a heart that was ready. That word ready means available and willing. A man who had a heart that was ready to hear and to obey what God had to say changed everything. That 
changed everything. And so this morning, I just want you all to know and remember that God wants to reveal himself to us. God wants to speak to his people. And what he's looking for is a group of people who would say, speak for your servant hears. Amen? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you speak to us. Hebrews tells us that in these last days, you have spoken to us through your son. And God, we know that comes through your spirit and through your word. God, thank you that you still speak. I pray that you would give us hearts today that would respond with obedience, with an availability to hear you and to respond to you with obedience. God, we're listening. We're yours.